12 hours from now, a long-hoped-for truce will take effect in the Israel-Hamas war. It's scheduled to last for only four days, but during that time, Hamas has promised to release 50 hostages. Israel will release 150 Palestinian prisoners and allow more aid into Gaza. The deal was mediated by the Kingdom of Qatar. A spokesman said he's, quote, hopeful that with this deal, hostilities will stop. We are hoping that we don't see any delays, and uh, I think we've reached a point now where everything is in place and we are ready to, uh, to go on, uh, on the ground. So we are hopeful that, uh, as I told you, by 7 a.m. tomorrow, everything will stop. The first hostages are set to go free at 4 p.m. local time tomorrow. That's 9 a.m. Eastern. They will include 13 women and children, and the Israeli government says it's notified their families. CNN's Becky Anderson is in Doha. And Becky, first, can you walk us through kind of the outlines of this deal? Yeah, here's what we do know. Um, at midnight Eastern time, which is 7 in the morning Gaza time, um, there will be a pause. Qatar, uh, who have been mediating these negotiations and, and has gotten them over the line, uh, announced today uh, that they have a specific time for a pause. The guns, as it were, will stop at 7 a.m. local time, midnight Eastern time. There will then be a period of time before we see the, or certainly the, the scheduled release of these first hostages. This is the first day of a four-day pause in the fighting. Uh, and on that first day, at some point, after 9 a.m. in the morning, 4 p.m. Gaza time, we will see the release of the first 13 hostages. As you rightly point out, the list has been provided by Hamas of who those hostages are to the Israelis. Um, and so the names are now available uh, to the Israelis and the families of those have been, um, have been told. Um, at that point, it is, uh, it is clear that those hostages, at, at, you know, at, at some point after 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 9 a.m. local time, those hostages will be taken to the Red Cross, and the Red Cross will then take those hostages to one of the borders, and it's not clear which uh, which board? It's not clear how the how this is operationalized because uh, Majid Al Ansari, the spokesman for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, wasn't prepared to divulge those uh, those details, and that's perhaps understandable. But those hostages will then be uh, taken by the Red Cross uh, uh, to a border and then taken by the IDF um, and uh, looked after. Anybody, uh, any of the women and children. Um, so the, the, any of the children under the age of 12 um, will have their families there, and those families have been notified. Anybody over the age of 12 will go with the IDF. They'll be looked after. They'll be taken if they need hospital treatment, and then they will be um, reunited with their families. Um, let me just give you a sense on, on what we know uh, about who those people will be. We don't. At the, at the moment. We know they are women and children. Um, we know they are 13 of the 50 being held by Hamas. I put this uh, following question, have a listen to the spokesman for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs earlier. Have a listen. 
The criteria on which to prioritize the hostages was purely humanitarian, as, uh, as you know, and our focus was on getting the women and children uh, out of harm's way as, uh, as soon as possible, which is basically what we are uh, doing within this, uh, this agreement. And uh, we will be going through, hopefully, that the momentum carried by this deal would help us get everybody out in, uh, in time and, at the same time, of course, lessen the hardship of the people in Gaza through humanitarian pause that is taking place. That was in answer to my question, which was, are you running a separate track um, in negotiations for the release of foreign nationals? That was the answer. So you, know, you have to surmise from that, that there is a possibility that there are um, foreign nationals, not just Israeli nationals, um, uh, on the list of those who will be released tomorrow. We do know that there are at least four women and children who are American citizens, one of whom, as we know, is a three-year-old. So the hope will be from those family members that they are on that list uh, of the first to be released. It is not clear for sure that that is the case at this point. Jack Anderson in Doha, thanks for this reporting. Now, part of the deal would include 200 trucks carrying aid and fuel that could cross into Gaza each day. And new video shows a convoy of trucks loaded with food, water, and other desperately needed supplies actually lining up at the border crossing in Egypt. CNN's Eleni Jakas joins us now from Cairo. And tell us from that position of the border what the situation is like uh, on the ground as we wait for this pause in fighting. Well, it's been a flurry of activity, frankly. Um, our crews on the ground at the Rafa border say they've seen so many trucks dozens of trucks lining up from Al Arish to the Rafa border, frankly for the last 24 hours in anticipation for this truce to kick in. Um, the fact that they have now agreed to uh, 200 trucks of aid to enter Gaza daily while this truce is on the go is really big news because we've heard from international organizations that have been saying they're in desperate need of all resources from food and water medical supplies and we have to remind our audience just what it means to be someone that is injured in gaza right now the chances are you'll get surgery without anesthesia you'll get um an amputation if that's required without anesthesia these are some of the horror stories that we have been hearing we also actually bumped into a group of people that had just come into egypt from gaza and they were saying that for days they had no access to food and water that is how dire the situation is so the hope now is get that aid into Gaza. The truce, truce will, uh, of course, hold up for four days uh, to get as much as possible. That's Becky Anderson with The View from Cairo. Now I want to talk about Israel because families there are waiting to hear if their loved ones will be released in this hostage deal. And one of those Israelis hoping for good news is Ido Don. Several members of Ido's family were abducted from a kibbutz near Hamas's brutal, during Hamas's brutal attack on October 7th. And since then, we've actually learned that two of his family members, his aunt Carmela and his cousin Noya, have died. Three more relatives, two cousins ages 12 and 16, along with their father, Offer, are still missing. And Ido, I, I want to thank you for joining me today on what must be a very difficult day. Yeah, hi, good morning, Audie. Yes, it is. Um, we're very nervous, to be honest. What are your concerns? What are you nervous about as, as you're waiting for this call or to actually get information from the government? Well, 
the truth is um, that we don't know uh, exactly who will be released and how many of uh, the Israeli kids will be released and the moms. Uh, in fact, we know that the deal, the basic deal, involves only 75% fish about, you know, of, the, of that group. So it's pretty, uh, it's kind of a toss-up. So you're saying 75% you know, of... You're saying 75% of women and children? Exactly. Because the deal is about 50, um, which are, you know, um, I think it's uh, 30, 30 children and eight uh, and, and around 12 moms. And then there are more, um, you know, probably, it's not really clear uh, what will be the rest to get to 50, but um, there is an incentive in that deal that for any... For every additional 10 hostages, um, Hamas ISIS will basically get another day of ceasefire. So we can be just, uh, you know, hopeful that um, they'll be included. You're using but, the term... Uh, but to be honest, you know... You were just using the sorry. term Hamas ISIS, um, but do you, do you have any clarity about who are the militants in particular holding your loved one? Uh, no, we don't. No, we don't. Um, but the assumption is that um, Hamas, you know, Hamas has uh, basically, um, you know, the, the, the ability to get all the hostages. Even though I heard some reports that they aren't, or uh, they claim that they aren't, there are several fractions there. Um, but since, you know, Hamas, ISIS basically launched this uh, massacre on uh, October 7th, so um, they are, you know, the address. To get our, our our loved one back um but I, you know since uh, october 7th we are all one family all the hostages families um you know which is like uh, i think right now there are 236 because three of the hostages that were um grabbed alive uh actually came back in coffins which is very very scary for us um and right now i mean we're, we're one family so whoever um men should be released tomorrow um, would be just an enormous uh, achievement and happiness for them. But you know, just, you know, now in Thanksgiving... You know, I, I want to um, make sure we I get to ask you this question in particular about whether or not you have heard from the government itself. At this point, are you waiting for a phone call or have you had a phone call? We had a phone call. Has this shifted your mood? You describe being nervous. It doesn't sound like you're hopeful. Um, um, we're nervous because we won't be, we cannot celebrate until the military, you know, checks them up and uh, verify that the list that was um, communicated to us for tomorrow, by the way, only the list for tomorrow was communicated, not the rest of the deal, because the deal is like, um, should be, 50 should be released uh, across uh, four days. So until we you know we get them verified and actually until we get them home and hug them and smell them and feel them i don't think we can celebrate yet so that's this is the reason why we're we're very hopeful but we're very nervous at the same time and this is what has been you know our state for the past six weeks but i must tell you that you know throughout the last six weeks the pipe you know if you can call it of releasing Mm -hmm. um, hostages and prisoners on both sides um, was very dry. 
nothing was moving there, no liquid. And right now we are really, really, really hoping that this first day, um, assuming that it will actually happen because it was already, you know, delayed right. in 24 hours. So just, uh, you know, just assuming that it happens, we're really hopeful that this would be the beginning of a set of releases that would eventually uh, get all the hostages back alive in Israel and all the missing, um, you know, citizens uh, back in Israel. And this is something that, uh, I mean, even, even if, I know it's really hard to say for us, but I truly mean it, even if other kids would, you know, would arrive in, in this, I mean, tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, and not ours, we'll be extremely happy. Idan, do you think know... that would be a shift for the government? Do you feel like uh, there's been some criticism that the government was not prioritizing uh, getting the hostages back over their plan to eradicate Hamas? Do you think this finally shows that maybe things are changing? I hope so. I hope so. Because, and, and by the way, you know, also the kidnapper has a vote. Um, assuming that, you know, the other side would actually, you know, see um, um, the fruits of, of this negotiation, this release, because they're they going to get prisoners back home as well. So I can just hope that they'll celebrate, you know, those prisoners and, and, and get more um, motivated to keep doing that until until all the hostages are released. And then this would mean eventually what you're asking, that the government put that above all the maneuvers and the other military objectives. Ido Don, I want to thank you. And uh, we were thinking of you as you're waiting for the phone to ring again. Oh, I really would, uh, would like to cross my fingers and just to know that, you know, even, you know, even if our family will get our B1 to sit with us, you know, on the Thanksgiving table, I really, really hope to, that the other 200, um, over 200 empty chairs in other families will be filled as soon as, you know, they can. Thank you. Thanks again. Thank you for having me, Odi. Thank you. As Israel and Hamas are just hours away from what they hope will be a pause in fighting, Hezbollah and the IDF continue to exchange attacks in northern Israel. We're going to take you to the region to hear more about that next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. 
It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Today at Israel's northern border, the IDF claims it struck Hezbollah targets in Lebanon with helicopters and fighter jets after Hezbollah fired dozens of rockets at an Israeli military base. And with hours to go until the pause in fighting, Israeli airstrikes continue to bombard Gaza today. The IDF says 300 targets were struck in just the past 24 hours. CNN's Jeremy Diamond joins us now from Sidorot. And Jeremy, can you give us an update on what's going on? Yeah, well, the fighting continues here as we are now uh, less than 12 hours away from this truce beginning. But the Israeli military has made very clear today uh, a spokesman telling us that uh, they will continue to operate inside of Gaza. They will continue to strike Hamas targets inside of Gaza uh, up until they get the order to stop before that truce goes into effect. The IDF spokesman saying that it is, quote, business as usual uh, inside the Gaza Strip. And indeed, today, uh, here from our vantage into northern Gaza, we have watched as the Israeli military has continued to bombard uh, the Gaza Strip. We have watched, we have heard a small arms fire indicating ongoing battles between Israeli forces and Hamas militants. And we have seen as the Israeli military has also been striking targets in southern Gaza as well. All of this as we are learning new details about those 13 hostages who are set to be released uh, tomorrow. Uh, that won't happen until about 4 p.m. Uh, local time. They will be handed over to the Red Cross, who will then transfer them to Israeli forces at three different crossing points uh, into uh, Israel. Uh, children under 12 are expected to meet their parents uh, or their family members at uh, uh, designated points uh, near those crossing points. Uh, the families of those over 12 are expected to go directly to hospitals across Israel where they will get medical evaluations and also uh, be able to meet their family members there. All of this, of course, is a very uh, delicate situation still, as we have seen uh, the timing. You know, this was supposed to happen today, and it was delayed by 24 hours, just showing how fraught, how delicate the situation is, and the potential, of course, still for things to go wrong before this actually happens. That's Jeremy Diamond. Thanks so much. Joining us now is Eyal Hulata. He's the former head of the Israeli National Security Council and a former National Security Advisor. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, you know, our last guest, uh, who has a family member, has several family members who have been held, said something interesting. He said the kidnappers get a vote, too, in talking about this deal. How do you see what's trying to be negotiated here? Well, you know, Hamas uh, uh, clearly negotiated very uh, strongly over this, which is, I, I think, one, uh, the, the kidnapping of, of, those, uh, uh, of those families, children, um, mothers, fathers, elderly, this is the most painful uh, of all of the things that happened on October 7 for the Israeli public. And the fact that Hamas is playing hardball for so long says a lot about the character of this terrorist organization. At the end, for the last three weeks or so, Hamas has tried to squeeze whatever they can. Israel insisted to get the largest amount, families that would come out together so that they would not separate mothers from their kids and siblings uh, over this. And hopefully this is what we will see uh, uh, playing out in the next uh, 24 hours. It's supposed to be today. And we'll see that it happens. There has been, there are some fault lines here 
um, within the Israeli government. Um, and I, I want to show you a, a quote from the Times of Israel where uh, a politician from the Jewish Power Party described this as setting a dangerous precedent um, and, and kind of branding it as immoral, illogical, far from enough. Um, what are we seeing in those fault lines? So first of all, uh, uh, the minister who's saying this, Itamar Ben-Gvir, is, is the most extreme member of the Israeli uh, uh, government, which in itself is a very right-wing government, uh, very different from the one that I served as national security advisor, um, uh, must be told. So I will not defend what he's saying because yeah, I but think... But these are the levers of power. Well, That's why I'm asking. He, so what does he that... He had three votes in the cabinet <laughs> and this, uh, 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 this deal was approved in, in a large majority over the cabinet. But I think what's important to understand is the kind of sentiment in the Israeli population regarding this. We want to see the families back home. You know, we have a saying in, in, in Hebrew, nefesh achat. everyone who saves one single life has saved the entire world. But this does not mean that this comes without a, of controversy. You will not see celebrations tomorrow in Israel because we know that there are about 190 uh, hostages still there and this war will not end before they all come out. And of course the proportions, we get 50 hostages uh, uh, that were abducted, we release 150 terrorists female terrorists, teenager terrorists, but that's what they are. Or people who have been detained and have been charged detained. for a variety of reasons. Well, they, all of those who will be released were detained for uh, attempting to murder Jews and Israelis uh, over the, over the uh, vast of the years. This is not a hostage swap. Right, so is this a good deal? Well, I think that at this point, we need to bring them back. Those hostages have been in the tunnels for 45, actually 47, by tomorrow it will be 48 yes. days. Because you're talking about negotiating with the people you want to eradicate. Yes. That seems like an untenable position. That's, that's true. And at the end of it, is there the possibility of extended ceasefire if more hostages are released? Is so, that actually what people are okay with, given so the, that they want to eradicate Hamas? So the agreement is, is uh, uh, to extend this for a few more days and to get uh, uh, 10 hostages a day. I would assume that after that will happen, Israel will continue uh, 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 to attack Hamas. If Hamas was willing to release all of the hostages uh, uh, in a deal, this would have happened. I would assume that this would change the calculus of how this war ends. But clearly Hamas is only uh, uh, being squeezed in, in, in its uh, uh, agreement to, to release those. And as long as Yechia Sinwar specifically doesn't feel that the sword is close to his neck, I would assume that he will not release all of them. It would be def very difficult for him to release soldiers, men, because this is their ethos. This is what Hamas has been doing over the years. I expect this to, to continue. I expect the firing or the fighting to continue until Hamas is uh, uh, at this point. We but does every day that them. there are hostages potentially released change the calculus of the Israeli government at all? I'm sure it does. Uh, and this is why I said if there was an option to, to release all of the hostages at one time, this may have been uh, looking differently. But Hamas is not willing to do that. Hamas wants to bargain over this. And this is why we'll need to continue to uh, put a lot of pressure on them. And eventually, and just another point on this, because you said it, and I think it's very, very important. There will be no hope for Gaza as long as Hamas controls Gaza. Hamas has been terrorizing the Gazan population, not only us in this regard. And this will need to end in a way that we can build a new future in Gaza. Hamas will need to end the rule in Gaza. I'm going to leave it there for uh, a moment. Ayahulata, thank you so much. Thank you, Adi. Ahead, a closer look at how this major deal between Israel and Hamas could play out on Capitol Hill. And will a big military aid package to Israel be a casualty of the partisan breakdown in Congress? Oh. Efforts to help Israel and Congress alongside key ally Ukraine have gotten caught up in squabbles within and between the two major parties. 
For more on the dynamics here in Washington, we're going to bring in our great panel of reporters, CNN's MJ Lee, CNN's Melanie Zanona, and Elena Treen, and Heidi Prisbilla from Politico. Did I say that right? You had to get it right. Great. I want to start with you, Melanie. First, just outline for us at what point, what is the package in front of everyone? Because we had heard Biden saying, we want a package with Taiwan aid yeah. and Ukraine aid and Israel aid, a whole bunch of stuff. But what actually exists right now? Yeah, Democrats want to package it all together. Republicans want to do all of these pieces individually. But it's really unclear if and when a package is going to be passed. And the reason is because on Ukraine, you have Republicans who are insisting on border policy changes, not even just more border money. They want stricter asylum laws, stricter immigration laws. That is something that has vexed, vexed Washington for many years. So it's a very complicated issue to try to be getting policy changes. In, and we often see border security tacked on to things, right? Because it is a Republican priority right. in so many ways. I know that uh, in Politico, uh, we were reading that Senator Chris Murphy is raising concerns that there actually could be shortages um, for Ukraine and, and soldiers. They're getting all the way to 2024. Um, I want to open it up to the table because this feels like such a fundamental, um, it seems minor, but it's like a big fundamental question. Is the U.S a place that is intervening, supporting in various places all at once, and they all can be looped together, or is there a different approach of it? Also a first big test for Johnson. I was thinking about it this morning. We have a, a new dance partner here for the White House, but it's like the same tune and the same orchestra with very unlikely outcome being much different, which is just a lot of squabbling. You know, another CR, although we're being told, Melanie's being told that they don't not likely to go for that. Um, and very little indication that there is an understanding of the broader stakes. You cited Politico and Chris Murphy, and he's saying, yes, within weeks, they could be running out of ammo. And the truth is, if you read uh, what's out there right now, the counteroffensive here is all but stalled. Yeah, but MJ, they're saying I they might not be able to wait until next February. It was supposed to be February. post America first, right? Coming out of the Trump years, it was supposed to be a new approach. Is that how the White House sees it? I mean, I think the fact that uh, Israel and Ukraine aid, Ukraine aid both, uh, the prospects for getting more aid is so grim right now. Uh, just speaks volumes about how much of a distance we've traveled, uh, both in terms of the Ukraine conflict being so protracted, but also how divisive this issue now is within the Republican conference. I mean, we are in a political world where even just the prospect of uh, keeping the government funded uh, is so incredibly divisive and challenging. Everything just comes down uh, right to the wire. I think the White House feels uh, no sense of confidence right now that this is uh, a situation where they can trust that the House and the Senate can get this kind of funding passed when not that long ago it was just sort of a, an accepted uh, reality that members right. of Congress would be okay yeah. with. Oh, so uh, they've got this more. pressure in the front and then headwinds also within the Democratic Party, right? Um, there's this conversation about whether or not even saying ceasefire right. works for Democrats. Uh, give us some context here. Yeah, well, I think the divide right now within the Democratic Party in Congress, but beyond, is something that's also complicating a lot of this. I mean, the divide when it comes to Israel. I mean, it's yeah. obviously an issue. Just to give an example, well. Rashida Tlaib actually uh, made a comment. She's continuing to push for a ceasefire mm -hmm. um, as this kind of conversation about a halt in hostilities um, is on the way, uh, where she says, when this short-term agreement expires, the bombing of innocent civilians will continue and we need a permanent ceasefire to save lives. 
bring all the hostages and those arbitrarily detained home and put an end to this horrific violence. Um, I don't know necessarily how welcome this is in the White House, kind of how she's been talking. It doesn't seem welcome, and MJ, you know as well. I mean, I think that Biden has been trying to uh, walk this line, right? Like, he's very pro-Israel. I think he's been um, making it clear that he wants to aid Israel, he wants to help Israel right now. Um, but he also recognizes that there are a lot of people in the party, people like Congressman Tlaib, but a lot of people on the hard left um, who are sympathizing a little bit more with what's happening in Palestine and even some people, I mean, we've seen on social media sympathizing with Hamas to an extent. And so I think um, the politics around this are very difficult. But so even if there's a there's probably strings attached, do we think conditions are possible? That is actually a split in the Democratic Party right now. We have seen some on the left coming out and saying there should be conditions. It should be conditioned upon their human rights and their military strategy. But other Democrats are coming out and saying absolutely not. There should be no conditions attached. We've never you know, we've done this for other countries, but we've never done that for Israel. And so you're also seeing the split on the left, which is also why this aid package that they're trying to do has become so complicated in a normal times when it would be something very easy for them to and do. And it can reverberate in our own domestic politics. I want to end on this, this Politico headline um, uh, reporting that donor a donor tried to offer $20 million to recruit a primary challenger to Rashida Tlaib. I mean, I think the issue, I, you mentioned this before, it, uh, for the Biden campaign is that this isn't just a divide that we're seeing among members of Congress and the party. It is among voters, too, right? The Biden campaign looks at this and they see uh, that the Israel issue has the potential to really erode support among uh, younger voters. We're also talking about support uh, among voters of color. So when you start sort of taking away those slivers of support, uh, that is supposed to be key to the yeah. Democratic base. Undercurrent of enthusiasm. Supporting Biden. Yeah. Where, how do you make up that difference? Okay, stay with us. We're going to talk next about turmoil with the DeSantis campaign and whether or not that's good news for Nikki Haley. But is there still time to catch the GOP frontrunner? Stay with us. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them on Be My Guest, the podcast. New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. We're now less than two months from the Iowa caucuses, and Ron DeSantis, once seen as the GOP's most viable alternative to Donald Trump, is floundering. Yesterday, the chief executive of his super PAC quit, the latest personnel shuffle in his inner circle. We want to talk about the polls because they have been trending in the wrong direction, at least for DeSantis. In the early voting states, Nikki Haley now tops him for second place in New Hampshire and South Carolina. The two are tied in Iowa. They're both still pretty far behind Donald Trump, but I'm bringing back our political reporters because it's a holiday, and if you're watching this show, you care, even though <laughs> this is two months away. Um, it's the only place we're allowed to talk politics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The only Thanksgiving table yeah. where you can talk yeah. politics like this. So I'm looking at those numbers in that poll, and I did some quick math, and it's still like 40%, 30% of electorate total who are looking for someone else. Mm -hmm. uh, is that what you're hearing? It is. I mean, I think what's really interesting about these polls, too, is that uh, Nikki Haley and DeSantis are kind of head to head now in Iowa, especially because DeSantis has really 
operated this uh, all-in strategy. He's really put all his eggs in the Iowa basket, and he's counting on succeeding in Iowa in order to help him build momentum for the other primaries. But it doesn't look like uh, that's really working out for him And so yet far. more money might be on the way, right? Yes, There's... I mean, he has had it, um, other than this um, super PAC drama where the head of the Never Back Down, Chris Jankowski, resigned, um, he has had a good few weeks. I mean, we saw Bob Vanderplatz. He's a very big Republican power broker in Iowa, Christian evangelical leader gave him his endorsement earlier this week. He's also, as you mentioned, getting more donors. Heidi, let um, me let you jump in. Your face yeah. is saying, Oh, is I just, really? you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking of all of these things and all of retreading Same all doubts. of the campaigns that I've covered. And this is just a textbook case of what you do when you're a struggling campaign, mm -hmm. which is rearrange the deck chairs. Number one, rule number one, it's never the candidate's fault. It's always the help. Get new help. We saw this with DeSantis in August when he got a new campaign manager. We've seen this in previous campaigns, like when Donald Trump gave Brad Parscale the boot. The reality is he was supposed to have his breakout here in Iowa. It's not happening. We're seven weeks before now the caucuses. He's down 25 points from Donald Trump. And so his but you're painting a is... brutal picture that Nikki Haley's people will love. OK, they're going <laughs> to be like, this is great. So I want to play an ad from this DeSantis pack because uh, he's obviously as she is being getting better press and seeing more as a front runner. Uh, the knives are out, so to speak. We know her as Crooked Hillary, but to Nikki Haley, she's her role model, the reason she ran for office. I often say that the reason I got into politics was because of Hillary Clinton. She is actually the reason that I made the jump. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is from the far right pack. We know there is no greater slur in the Republican Party than to be uh, called Hillary Clinton. So um, what is the aim here in terms of approaching Nikki Haley? I, actually, our colleagues reported that there was some concern that some of these ads were backfiring on DeSantis for going after her. And I think just like DeSantis has struggled to figure out how to take on Trump, he's also struggling how to take on Nikki Haley. I mean, they've gone after her on foreign policy, which has been her calling card. That's also been, you know, a rallying cry on the far right. You've seen this more isolationist wing of the party taking right. hold. Which is probably struggling a bit in this moment with Israel, right? Exactly. Like trying to push that America right. first with this particular ally. Yeah, but I, I think they've, they've really struggled to land attacks on her without it also backfiring. All right, I want to talk about messaging because this is always the conversation with Joe Biden and with the White House. Are they doing enough? Are they saying enough? Are they convincing people to ignore the data and feel like the economy is better? How are they thinking about this right now? I mean, I know we've talked about this so much and I don't know how many times we can use the word disconnect, but I do think that is like the theme song of the campaign right now. Uh, they know that the economic data is so much stronger now than before, uh, earlier in the administration, but they also recognize that there is a disconnect. People uh, do not feel like the economic situation is good, even and despite running ads, the numbers. Right? Like there's a whole flurry of ads they are that they're pushing. Running ads uh, in battleground states about the president's economic record trying to sort of sell his record on the economy uh, in particular. Uh, when I talk to White House officials, they say and they recognize that there is a bit of a messaging problem. You know, is Bidenomics really the but right label? you're being label? very generous. I'll say the Internet is undefeated and TikTok is hating the economy. I don't know how you guys like where where is your social media there's messaging, life? But there's also actual looked at the data. And inflation for much of Biden's presidency was outpacing wages, even though mm -hmm. wages were rising. Now that has flipped. And so we have to watch and see. But if is inflation his... the problem or prices? Well, 
the same it's the same thing no, i mean wait. so but the point is that this dynamic is now flipping. The reason right? why I'm and saying so, this is you get, inflation can come down and you can still go to the grocery store and find very high prices, right? This has been one of the puzzles so far. Well, price gouging, yeah. Well, and I, I was going to say, I think there's also a recognition that just some part of this is that time needs to pass. And there's right. nothing that the White House or the campaign can do about that, right? I mean, we went through two, two brutal years of the pandemic, uh, mm -hmm. historic uh, inflation, uh, prices of everything being so high. So even if the economic data is strong, uh, there's something about like the human psychology that's and just and going just, to take time. And then there's a second thing, right, which is the social social safety net programs that are due to expire. And, and that's where House Democrats that really get involved, hits right? That's his, where the message uh, His base, started. very much yeah. so, when you talk about uh, lower income individuals, single mothers, you know. How does that dialogue go? Yeah, well, I was going to say, just when I talk to voters um, out in the field, but also Republicans, I cover the Trump campaign, so I hear a lot of Republicans and how they think um, Biden is doing on the economy. And I totally agree with MJ's point that there is a bit of a hangover when it comes to looking at the economy. Even if the economy is getting better, they think of Joe Biden as being someone who was in office when the economy was really bad. They think of the really high gas, gas prices. They think of inflation and they associate that with him. And so I do think there is an uphill battle for the White House to change the messaging on Bidenomics. All right. I want to thank you guys for being here on a holiday. I appreciate you. Great reporting. Thanks so much. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Ahead on this Thanksgiving day, how to deal with the political divisions around your Thanksgiving table by embracing news stories. That's up next. The percentage of Americans who say they're extremely proud to be an American is actually at a record low. Earlier this year, a Wall Street Journal poll found that just 38% of Americans say patriotism is very important to him, and that, that's actually down from 70% in 1998. But I want to invite you to listen to a conversation that I had on my podcast, The Assignment, because we wanted to bring you a unifying conversation, an uplifting conversation for your Thanksgiving tables. One that asks some important questions, like what does it mean to love this country despite its divisions? How can we come together and hold space for the good and the bad of the American story? And what would those conversations even sound like if we did? Well, I spoke to the author, Baratunde Thurston, and he says that it might mean letting go of some of the old stories about who we are as a country. That's part of the polarization that has spread throughout society, and it's not limited to the halls of Congress. It's showing up in business transactions and who you buy a chicken sandwich from, and you know you got to pick a side in everything. That's risky. But we know in our realist relationships, we are not in relationship with a totally good person or a totally bad person. We know that the children we love and the spouses we marry and the parents who brought us into this world are very imperfect. And we embrace multiplicity, duality, a full spectrum with all those people. We make excuses right, <laughs> for ourselves and for the people we love. And we embrace more of them when we're doing our best. So if you want to listen to more, that episode of The Assignment is available wherever you get your podcasts. Please listen and subscribe. And thank you so much for joining us this hour. All of us here on Inside Politics wish you a very happy and healthy Thanksgiving. CNN News Central starts after the break.
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.